Warning, this interview may go off the rails at any time because this man is crazy and hilarious. This man penned a number one hit about a high school crush. This man is known for wearing a superb scarf at parties. This man has been accused of having Botox. And for all we know, this is the gentleman who ruined the buffet at the Herald Club this morning. Is this the man? Is this the gentleman who crashed through Victor Maitland's window? Who disabled a non-marked unit with a banana? Who lured Taggett and Rosemont into a gross dereliction of duty at a striptease establishment? Uh, it's Rosewood, sir. Is this the gentleman who ruined the buffet at the Harrow Club this morning? I just bet you are the pride of your department in Detroit. Is this the man who... Wrecked the buffet at the Harrow Club this morning. Your voice, for Christ's sake. He has been dubbed Mr. Vocalist and is the melodic and soulful voice of Mr. Big. We have Mr. Eric Martin joining us on Grown Up Rock today. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. You know, the handsome one that stands right in the middle between Billy Sheehan and Paul Gilbert. Yeah, a little short, but still sexy as hell. You're listening to me on the Growing Up Rock podcast with Stephen and Sonny. Sonny, if you're a red hot firecracker, I'm going to light your fuse. If you cry like a little girl, which you do often, I'll dry your baby blues. What do you think about all that? I think they're great lyrics. Let the person who wrote them sing them, and you should just shut up. (laughs) That's no way to talk to me. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Eric, I am so sorry. When you hear this, I am so sorry. Dude, that is one of my favorite Mr. Big songs. I love that tune. Oh, I got a bunch of favorite uh, Mr. Big tunes. That First of all, that first record is Desert Island for me. The second one's damn close. Uh, the first one with Richie has some awesome songs on it. I love Eric Martin solo stuff. I like some of the stuff he did for Just Japan. I And then, you know, obviously I like the Winery Dogs that kind of spun off with Billy and Richie doing their own thing. Like there's so much stuff that this, I guess, band kind of split off to do that. I absolutely love. I'll tell you what, this was a crazy and fun interview. Eric was absolutely awesome with his time and just a fun dude to talk to. It was like basically talking to some of our podcaster friends in the way that he, I mean, he's a ball buster 
He had great stories, just a fun conversation that ensued with Eric Martin from Mr. Big. Yeah, and it's just, we've had a lot of luck with this. It's great to meet some of these folks, talk to some of these folks that you never thought when you were 20, 25 years old you would ever meet. And to meet them and then be so cool and have a immediate connection because when you meet somebody on the street, you have no idea if you have the same hobbies because you never get there with the conversation. When you're meeting some of these people, you're only meeting them because you have the same hobby. And if the person's cool, man, you connect immediately, which was so easy with Eric. Good Lord, we got to talk for five hours. Yeah, no doubt. And I think for us, it's a hobby for him, probably not a hobby. But the one thing that I think, you know, brings us all together is the love of music, right? Yeah. And he has, you know, he's in the bang zone of everything I love. So this is one of the entertainers of my lifetime, right? There's some in movies, there's some in music, there's some in uh, TV. And Eric's one of those guys, and he's a Bay Area brother. So that just makes it that much better for me. Plus, it made you happy when he was busting my balls again. Absolutely. I think he told you shut up twice. I don't know. He told me shut up a couple times. One time he called me bumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) And I I had to hit mute because I was on the floor. I had to hit mute. (laughs) I could have easily taken that out in the edit, but you know what? It was just too fun. And I am definitely a good sport for ball busting. Yeah, Eric was definitely fun, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. Well, you ready to get into this thing then? Because it's a long one. It's a long interview. And uh, listeners, warning, keep up with where Eric's going, because I promise there's an end to every story, or at least I think there is. (laughs) Yeah, Eric bounces around a lot, but there's some really great stories in all this. And I promise you that this interview is absolutely entertaining. So this will definitely treat you right for the next couple of hours. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy some of the music that I'm going to share with you from the Mr. Big catalog and the Eric Martin band catalog. So dig it.
Eric, welcome to the show. Ta-da! Fantastic. Did you put the banana in the tailpipe? See, you did get that reference. That's good. Absolutely. I don't know if the kids are going to get it, but like, I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Beverly Hills Cop, man. God. Did you ruin the buffet at the Harold's Club? Yeah, it was classic. (laughs) Eric, man, you healthy? You're in Nevada, California, right? You healthy? Yeah, I'm healthy. I mean, I have this cough that I've had for about five months. I don't get all scared here. Not like my neighbors who are swashing pig's blood on my door as we speak. But no, I just have this allergy thing going on since December. You know, I go to Japan a lot. Cherry blossoms are all over Japan, and they're so beautiful. Gorgeous. I'm always in a car driving somewhere to the hotel or the, or the arena or whatever, and I never stop and smell the roses or the cherry blossoms. But I have one in my front yard, and it's so beautiful, and it's so pollen. It's got so much pollen in it, and it's just killing me. So I might have to move to some other sanitarium. I find that when you go through life without stopping to smell the cherry blossoms, that your life leads something to desire at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Wow, Confucius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. I didn't know we had Confucius with us. That is classic. That was like, I'll never get those two and a half minutes back. Or maybe that was a minute. I have found that when you stop and smell, <laughs> that's good. That was good. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. My father, who's uh, passed away now, but he he used to have this old friend of his named Tim. And he'd go, Confucius say, many men smoke, but foo man chew. I thought that was hilarious at the time when I was <laughs> a youngster. Sorry, man. What the hell is going on here? Let's get to the questions, my friend. Let's get to some of these questions here because we got a lot we want to ask you about. Well, first of all, you had me at Botox, which is like, <laughs> what in the holy hell? <laughs> Botox. I mean, look, and scarf. Oh, yeah, I knew that was coming. I've been busting out that costume for probably way too long but hey man you can just wear a black shirt and just wear a different color scarf you can just save on all that money and buying you know rock and roll clothes anyway do you find that it accents your neck the scarves <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah it hides the sharpay now uh i like it you know like i remember kind of like back in the day where rod stewart steven tyler steven tyler would tie it around his microphone but I just, I don't know. I just I kind of, I've been picked on for it, but there are other people. Now I get all nervous. I'm, I'm going, but, 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 yeah, defending it. I like it. I think it's, I'm not doing like an homage to glam or anything, but, you know, Rod Stewart, David Bowie, Mick Jagger. It's just reeks of rock and roll for them. Steven Tyler's scarves served another purpose, though. That's where he used to hide his drugs. Man, you're a, you're you're a cornucopia of information right now, son. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> really? That's what he used to hide his drugs. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I don't know. The scarves kind of hide my fluctuating weight, you know. <laughs> I'm thin one month and then, you know, chunky the next and go back and forth. So, yeah, the scarves kind of hide it a bit. 
So anybody that's followed your career knows you're a Otis Redding and Sam Cooke fan, among other greats. But what was your introduction into hard rock and uh, rock and roll? In a long story short, uh, my dad was in the Army, and we were stationed pretty much all over the, the globe. And I remember being in Italy and Germany, Heidelberg, Germany, Vicenza, Italy, when I was a kid. And the music that came on the radio uh, was mainly kind of poppy and, and R&B. So I did listen to a lot of Otis and Sam Cooke and yeah, just you name it. A lot of, you know, Wilson Pickett was one of my heroes back in the day. But And then the Rolling Stones were in there. But it wasn't until I moved to California and went to um, junior high school, middle school, as people say it. And it was uh, free and uh, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin mainly. Led Zeppelin a lot. But then when I heard free and then bad company, that's when I kind of went. I didn't know if I said I could do that, but. I felt it, you know? Right. Yeah, so Zeppelin, Bad Company, Free, like all the classic British invasion rockers. And actually, and I don't say this that much, but Grand Funk, I really liked a lot. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, Mark Farner had a, and still has an incredible voice and a range, you know? Humble Pie in there at all for you? Oh, yeah. Humble Pie is always in there. It just goes without saying. Yeah, Steve Marriott, which, you know, when you look at Paul Rogers, it was, you know, beautiful blues, and but it was kind of planned out a little bit. You could tell. I mean, he was just a classy kind of guy. But Steve Marriott was unbridled and just free form, you know, just kind of sang anything he wanted. Sometimes he didn't go along with the tune. He would just scat in lieu of guitar solos, which I'm all for that. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, no offense to all the guitar players are out there. Like Paul Gilbert. No offense. All right. But anyway, yeah, the whole free form of Steve Marriott and uh, the great rock and roll songs. I used to be in a bunch of bands when I was younger. And I remember this one band I was in, they were called Foxtrot. They gave me a binder with all the lyrics in it and everything. It was Humble Pie and Jeff Beck and all this stuff. Yeah. And I cut my teeth on all that stuff when I was younger. Yeah, do you remember what the first uh, rock album was you bought with your own money? <laughs> well, actually, first album that I ever... Now, this is, sounds really silly, but the first album I ever had was Broken, and I found it in a field, and it was a Ricky Nelson record. Okay. Kind of weird. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but, you know, I'm a traveling man, all that stuff. Yeah, you had some great stuff. It was really great melodic music anyway it's the first rock record God, I, I wish i could be cool and say you know iron maiden or, <laughs> or uh, judas priest or something like that but i i don't really remember i mean i got a whole bunch of albums i'm loaded down with Stax Volt and motown and uh it, it was a, definitely a rock album joe cocker and mad dogs and englishman i think was the first record i or bought it's the oldest record in my collection so yeah any beatles in there i listened to a lot of beatles but i was more of a rolling stones fan i mean i like the bad boy rock and roll kind of and i love the melodic scent on mccartney and i love john lennon's you could tell as a fan and a musician i mean i can obviously tell who wrote what 
even though it says Lennon McCartney, obviously, you know, we can all look at it and go, okay, that's a Paul McCartney song. That's John Lennon. And I like them a lot. And it kind of helped me a little bit as a songwriter. Obviously, it's helped millions of musicians, but I was mainly a Rolling Stones fan back in the day. Cool. So your dad was a drummer, and you've said before in interviews that your dad gifted you the gift of gab. (laughs) (laughs) But you started as a drummer yourself, and from my understanding, you really wanted to follow in your dad's footsteps, but you didn't you didn't feel like you had the same amount of talent playing wise. Was that what ended up pushing you towards becoming a singer? I got rope doped into it, actually. So I played drums and only had the one beat. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I think I play a little bit better now, but back in the uh, late 60s, 70s, I was just okay. And I could tell that I was on my way out. It's so funny how it's come full circle. I used to, not Pat Torpy, but I used to look back as a singer. I'd turn my back and i go, really? To the drummer? You know, because I, I thought I had good timing, and I didn't think the drummer had very good timing sometimes, which is such an, an idiot move that singers do. Oh, I used to get cymbals in the back of the head so many times and sticks thrown right on my back. You learn. You live and learn, kids. Anyway, that was not good. And the little band that I had, the singer didn't show up one day and they were learning, get ready because here I come, you know, Temptations, but Rare Earth did it. I go, man, you know, I should do this and play drums and sing at the same time, just like the artist that sings that particular song does. And I just couldn't do it. And I just kind of got up and grabbed the microphone and started doing it. I don't know how I... Hey, look, I didn't know if I was good or not, but I did. I got better looks from the musicians as a singer than a drummer. So it just kind of worked. It was the accolades that did it. Rumor is America was your first concert. Is that true? Because you need a better story than that. (laughs) Isn't that the you can do magic, guys? Ventura Highway. Come on. What, did they do, you you can do magic? They didn't do that song? Yes, they did. Yeah. They could They could have, but they didn't do it <laughs> back in the 70s. Didn't you ever have a desert shoes and bell-bottom pants and long hair with a ponytail? Come on. No, Sonny doesn't like nostalgia, Eric. Sonny is very nose-up-in-the-air about nostalgia. No, 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 no. Well, you, you have to cut your teeth somewhere and... You know, like I just used to think that all the experiences, all the 
bands that I've heard over the years, just throw them into a blender, singers involved too. And just whatever cocktail came out of that became me. Look, I was trying to impress a girl again. Story of my life. Never works. But uh, <laughs> I had this girlfriend named Vicky. And we went to, uh, where did we go? Sacramento Memorial Auditorium. Yeah, I think it was. And we went to see America. And before that, I mean, I used to, I grew up in Sacramento for a little while. And, you know, I would see Tower Power for free and, you know, a lot of funk bands and stuff like that. But yeah, my first kind of paid concert, her mother dropped us off and I went to see America. And they were really, really good. But I went out to the lobby to maybe get candy or something like that. And the opening act, this girl named Wendy Waldman, look her up. I've looked her up before. She's she's a singer-songwriter. And she was really cute back in the day. And she opened up the show acoustic style. And she was there and she was, all these lyric book and the whole thing was like splattered all over the floor. She was the only one in the lobby. And she was trying to get her guitar on the case. And, and I came over, you know, here I come to save the day, that kind of guy. And it came over and I walked her to her car and she gave me a kiss. So you know what? That wouldn't have happened at a Rush concert. <laughs> <laughs> but they were really great. They're really good, good, good music and everything. Kind of cool country, hippie kind of music. America. I've answered that question before. Oh, I've talked about it before. And I'm sticking with it. It's too late to change it, you know? <laughs> it's so embarrassing, you know, when you go like, I have a, a group of friends. We have a like a text thread. I know I'm going to name drop here, but Chris Jericho, big-time wrestler, PJ Farley, Steve Brown from Trickster, and our good friend, author, drummer, actor, boa-wearing character, Joey Casada <laughs> from the band ZO2. We all, they just bust my balls with all this my first concert was Kiss and like Aerosmith and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what about you, E? Which is my nickname. Like, I go, America. You know, guffaw. <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that shit up. <laughs> You're welcome. So fast forward a little bit to the early 80s. And, you know, I was thinking right. uh, Eric Martin Band had Mr. Big Members, Tesla, YNT. And you grew up with Jeff Watson. It could have been Night Ranger, too, if the chips would have fallen. Right? That's a super group right there. I know. And it could have been. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I like the history of that with Troy Laqueta being the drummer for Tesla and John Nyman over the years. And he, he when he was in the Eric Martin band, he, he also sort of, he was good friends with the YNT guys, but he roadied for them. And even on one of the, uh, it was an album called In Rock We Trust. Y&T album, and it had a robot, like a futuristic metal cartoon robot on it. And uh, John used to dress up, wear that robot costume, and walk on stage. He had to go through trials and tribulations to actually get into Y&T. But he's a phenomenal guitar player. And Troy Lichetta as well, one of the best drummers I've ever played with. You know, floor on the floor, great timing, sweetheart of a person. And... uh there was a couple other, uh, Jeff Watson, you know, we, I was in a band in Sacramento. It was, it was the Jeff Watson band. And, uh, we just wrote songs. We, uh, practiced in a chicken coop, little smelly little chicken coop. And we just practiced. And I think we played one gig at a frat party. 
and we're like, come on, are we ever going to play some gigs? You know, I can't do a paper route till I'm 20. You know, I need some money. And the Jeff Watson thing was ironic because I left Sacramento and I joined some other bands and I was in a band called Kid Courage and sort of a Rolling Stones, <laughs> it's so weird, meets the tubes kind of band. They're, but they were really, really good. We, we opened a ACDC's first 1978 show in San Francisco, Iggy Pop, I think Blondie was in there, just the Romantics, a lot of, a lot of bands. So I, I definitely had some life experiences with that. But Jeff, he disappeared. And I remember him calling me up one time in Mill Valley. He lived in Mill Valley and I lived in San Francisco at the time. And he goes, hey, come on over. I'm in a band. I'm in a band called Night Ranger, which is ironic because I used to see that band with Jeff. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of I'm throwing the story around a little bit, but I saw the band and they were, they were just called Ranger. And they gave me their cassette. I remember that. I still have it. At the same song that was on that Don Patrol. But anyway, yeah, you say, come on over. I have, we have a new album and it's called Don Patrol. And I remember going over his house and he's vacuuming and he's got Don Patrol on an easel. And I was like, he goes, man, one day you'll make a record. Yeah. And then Sucker for a Pretty Face, Eric Martin Band came, you know, a year later or something like that.
so yeah, all these great musicians that I play with, we were just strugglers back in the day. We definitely had big dreams and they came true. What do you know? (laughs) Do you still stay in contact with Jeff Watson? Uh, No, not really. The last thing we did together was a tribute to Ronnie Montrose a few years ago. So Eric, being a front man is not something that came natural to you at first. I read somewhere or heard you in another interview where you said you had a serious case of stage fright early on. How did you overcome that? And how does a singer go about developing this stage persona? <laughs> it ain't easy. No, you, you have to have balls of steel. And uh, it's an exciting feeling. And it's this nervous butterflies in the stomach feel when you're taking the back stairs of the stage and then the lights go off, you know, click, 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 click. And it's the whole lights in the arena. People are cheering and then, you know, the lighters used to go off and, you know, you look around at your bandmates and they're all pumped and ready, like, you know, rodeo stars. And I'm like going, Oh, don't forget the words. Don't trip over the monitor. Don't be an accident waiting to happen. I still get nervous and it's worked for me, but over the years, and I'm telling you, like I, many years with Mr. Big, I still was a little nervous on stage. I remember in the beginning years, I used to talk to the audience and be kind of funny and tell a couple of little inside jokes and say stupid stuff that just try to get them ready for the next song or I don't know what, you know, just do some sort of a shecky green stick or something, some kind of some kind of a comedic thing. And I remember he used to get in the stink eye from Billy and Pat, especially Pat. He was like, dude, right? You know, he didn't say shut up and sing, but it was, it was along those lines. <laughs> and which made me more nervous. But yeah, I had stage fright because I mean, he used to play uh, drums and I could hide behind the drums a little bit. Right. And I was in my own little world and I could tell people were looking at me. But, you know, I had a fortress around me. And then when I got to be a singer, and everybody was loving me, and I had to be really good all the time, and I, that made me nervous. Just a bundle of nerves, kids. But it's worked for me. I don't know. There are times where I come off the stage, and I'm so exhausted, not just because of the singing or the you know the sweating, running around, being the clown prince of rock and roll or something. It's just I'm exhausted because I'm so... I overwork myself to death in my brain. There's no really help for anybody else. You know, I'm not trying to teach anybody the way it is, but I think a little bit of nervous energy makes me, you know, just put on a better show. Well, I mean, you're not, you're not alone in that. There are lots of big performers still to this day that have stage fright and tell stories about it. And so uh, it is a very real thing, no matter how many shows you've done over the course of your life. So I was curious about how you approached it. Well, yeah, you know, when I first see you on stage and they're like, oh, you know, their arms are folded. They're looking at you going, all right, you got something to prove here. Okay, show me what you're working with. And you you work your ass off. So I'm a little nervous with that. And then they love you. And I'm still nervous. You know, I don't want to get too cocky. You know, I don't want to blow it. And then, you know, you got thousands and thousands of people and I know most of them want you to be great. They just want to be entertained, but they're, you know, I have that feeling of people going, what's with the scarf? 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is he got Botox? Is that Botox I see? Botox. That's a, uh, that is some bullshit right there, man. That's just me. My my mother and father and brother and sisters, we all look like we've been uh, cryogenically frozen. It's just the way our DNA is. We just all kind of look young. But look, I'm pushing 60. And I used to say this when I was 40, which is, I think, when my balls dropped. I couldn't be, I can't be sure. Anyway, uh, there's going to be one day where, when I least expect it, my face is going to fall like a, you know, a pizza from a pie plate. And uh, I'm not saying it's happening. I still get, you know, some compliment. God, you look really young. This is the classic. And this happens in Europe a lot or Japan because Japanese people are so sweet, but they're so blunt, you know, girls would come up. Oh, you look so young. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They get, they, get, <laughs> they get a little close and they're like, oh, you're so hot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so all these soundtracks, right? You did songs on the teacher's soundtrack. I think you had a couple on yeah. Iron Eagle. You live out there in California. I'm a little surprised that you didn't end up making a bunch of extra movie soundtracks. Is that something that you're interested in or what's the story there? Well, at the time, you know, I was managed by Herbie Herbert, who managed uh, Journey Mm -hmm. for many, many years. He managed me as a solo artist and he also managed Mr. Big. He's he's since retired now and had a long ass career helping all of us make a lot of money and, you know, get some fame in there. But he was the one who stumbled upon all these movie soundtracks and all. And I remember the, something came across his desk. It was, it was the movie Vision Quest. He kind of worked out some strong arm, arm deal with uh, the producer of the film and the soundtrack, music soundtrack, where he, he would put Journey in it. It was Madonna, Sammy Hager. Yep. You know, it was it was a really big soundtrack. So Journey ha- had only the young. I think Herbie worked it out where like, hey, if you, I'll give you Journey, but I, you know, you take this kid Eric Martin to be on the soundtrack. So I wrote a, a song with through Herbie's with the affiliation. I wrote a song with Neil Sean called Eyes of the World, uh, which was all about you know, Vision Quest was like a, it was a movie about wrestling and you know had a lot of heart to it. And, competition and so i wrote this whole song about this movie and i remember i hearing people saying oh this is going to be a great theme song you know i even borrowed the title from the script you know oh the eyes of the world are upon us or something like that anyway in the 11th hour i didn't get it and i thought oh god how do i get off my father's couch that i'm sleeping on that's all i read i didn't have a publishing deal i didn't have no money and this was going to be my ticket to uh, a shitty apartment you know and it didn't happen that way but with that song i wrote a, a song eyes of the world and i think i wrote another one just one night was a song with neil and it got placed in that movie teachers because of neil was my gift horse at the time you know he was kind of a mentor for me and those songs worked out so well in the movie and ironically night ranger was in that too uh they had a song called Interstate Love Affair. Yeah. This is a little backstory, but I remember going to the premiere and it was me, me and Neil were sitting in the in the movie theater with all these people and Night Ranger was behind me. 
and uh, Interstate Love Affair played before a song called I Can't Stop the Fire that me and Neil wrote for the movie. And uh, Interstate Love Affair played for like 10 seconds. Fucking Night Ranger was so pissed. They stood up and they left. And then the next song was Neil, Sean's, and, and my. And it lasted a whole three minutes. I was kind of stoked at that. No offense to Jack and Kelly and Jeff and, and those guys, but boy, was, was I like, uh, I was rock hard, baby. Anyway, so through Neil's help, I got another movie, Iron Eagle, had a couple songs on that. And those are the ones that were going to be in Vision Quest. Iron Eagle, the poor man's top gun. But still, they made, God, what was it? Iron Eagle 7. <laughs> and we were in the first one, and they had like, Queen was in the soundtrack. Yeah, God, it was pretty intense. And I, I love the niche. I mean, I love writing songs for these movies. And I wished that I, I never got the big movie. Teachers was kind of big. It had a great soundtrack to it. And the other ones did too, but they weren't great movies. Like Iron Eagle. Here's another one, Mr. Big One. Uh, Navy Seals. It was like, oh, Navy Seals are going to be some Charlie Sheen's in it, Michael Bean. It was really cool, you know, entertaining war movie and then uh, the Gulf War happens like the next day. So like perfect timing. Not good. It wasn't good. And then the classic Caddyshack 2. You know. The classic. Uh, Mr. Big had a song on uh, that soundtrack, but they, they didn't want to put their name on it. They were like, nah. And I go, well, let Eric put his name on it. So there you go. It's Mr. Big, but it says Eric Martin on it. And there was some there was some television shows and some movies. I love the genre. It was great. It was it was fun stuff to do. Get your get your name out there. Get sing different types of songs instead of the same kind of ones that you're locked into doing. You know, and Mr. Big. So I liked it a lot. I wish I could do uh, more of that. So I wish I could do anything so, in this COVID <laughs> crisis. <laughs> so before Mr. Big starts, you know, you've got easily. A, six, seven, eight years under your belt. There's bands, there's bad companies changing the singer. and Halen's looking for a singer. There's a rumor you had a 10-day NBA contract with Toto. Like, there's all these options probably yeah. that came towards you. Like, were any of them yeah. really real? Yeah, they were all real. Kind of, yeah. They, they were all real. The Eddie Van Halen one, that was real. He, you know, he asked me to come and audition, and he called me on the phone a couple times. Legend has it that I totally chickened out. I was so excited to be asked. And, oh, yeah, just blabbing my mouth to everybody. Hey, I'm going to do this. But, yeah, I went to L.A. I think I went to L.A. with Neil at some point. I just kind of mixed up that story a little bit. I did run into Sammy Hager one time. And he was like, I got the gig. And I go, did you get the gig? And he goes, no, but I'm confident that I'm going to get the gig. So I didn't have that type of confidence. I was... I've said it before, but uh, it was like some mighty big clown shoes to fill. Even though I felt like I could sing, this is wrong of me to say, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but I felt like I could hold my own as a singer with Van Halen, you know? But I, I didn't have the entertainment chops like David Lee Roth, so that kind of scared the shit out of me. So I didn't do that, So, but it is real. It just didn't come into fruition if nothing happened, you know? And the Toto thing did happen. I really wanted the gig. Played a couple solo albums that Steve Lucas had played on. And I played this gig in San Francisco called Wolfgangs, which was Bill Graham's nightclub. 
And the whole band came and watched my band. It was a solo band at the time. And uh, they even brought Boz Gags with them. And uh, it was it was really, really cool to have all that attention. And then it brought me down to, uh, or up to L.A. and uh, jam with them. But, you know, basically sing all their tunes, rehearse with them for about 10 days by week. I met all these great people that I've run into over the years, you know, and I'm still friends with some of the guys and friends with Luke at there. And he's one of those musicians. I don't know if you ever talked to him before, but he's, he's really funny. <laughs> he's, he's got a really good sense of humor and a really good dude. But yeah, man, I, I wanted that gig so bad, but I was so, I was so nervous and I, I was trying to fall in with them really good. I, I read something. Okay. This is totally outing me right here, but, Lukather wrote a book. Like, first of all, I used to hang with him all the time. I ended up not getting the gig. Jeff Picaro, he just thought I was a little too green. I don't know what he thought of me. Uh, that's what I thought he thought of me. Was like, I was just kind of a, a rookie. And I had done some things. And I did a couple albums and some movie soundtracks and, and all that. And I had some experience. So we went to David Page's recording studio, which was right next to his house. It was called Manor. And they were doing the Fahrenheit album. And I remember singing on a couple, on that song Fahrenheit. It was just some weird off time funky thing that I just couldn't get. And that might have, they were like, oh no, keep going, keep going, keep trying it, keep trying it. And I kept trying it, trying it. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. It's not really me, but if I would have had a little bit more time to do it, I, I never had done this type of off time signature funk kind of uh, material. I have now, but I, I didn't then. And so I was a little green, like Jeff said. But anyway, uh, Lucas wrote this book and he said that like we were at a nightclub. And I, I remember this too, that it was the Bacaro's father was playing in this sort of jazz band. I can't remember if he was a drummer or not or a horn player. I don't remember. But we were there and we're watching and it was me and the band. And I was a little nervous and had a couple glasses of wine, too many. And I, you know, I was like, hey, and I was saying some stupid shit that I still don't remember, you know, as you, as you do. And Lucas brought that up in his book. Yeah, he was a little drunk, and I think he, he pissed Jeff off. And I don't remember pissing Jeff off at all because Jeff was pretty quiet. I didn't barely even talk to him. It was mainly just me and Luke. Hey, look, at the time, Luke, me, I was young, he was young, wine, come on. <laughs> you know, he, he's got a story. He doesn't, he doesn't drink anymore, but like, you know, hey, look, I, I can't believe that he remembers. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't remember it, but all I remember was Jeff didn't, he, he thought I was just too young. <laughs> Might have left a bigger impact than you think if it made a book. <laughs> well, it made a book, but like, geez, all that drinking back in the day. I mean, did you write it down in your diary? I don't even remember that shit. Anyway. I really wanted to gig. And I remember I went to the NAM show one time and me and Luke are crossing the street and we ran into David Page. And I remember Luke saying to David, uh, Hey, remember this guy? This is the guy that got away. And he goes, Ah, oh, Eric Martin. It just, it made me feel great at the time. I was just so uh, enamored with uh, their musicianship and their humor and, you know, it was like, it was like guys that grew up together. It was just re like a real, a 
real tight camaraderie that I wanted. I really wanted that band. And hey, look, it didn't happen. A couple of years later, Billy Sheen called, and then I, you know, I walked a different path. But I mean, it all worked out, didn't it? So. Yeah. And, and the Mr. Big origin story, I mean, it's well documented with Mike Varney and all that. But that first big oh, yeah. tour was Rush. And I was wondering, like, there's no women at this show. Like, you made it, but there's no women. Because I was at that show. There was no, <laughs> no women, women. Dude, you're such a caveman. You're so primordial. <laughs> it's like, there's no women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so hilarious. Hey, look. There's Billy Sheehan. You know, one of the greatest rock and roll bass players of all. And there's Paul Gilbert. And he's got all these pedals and whatnot. And, you know, firing coming out of the guitar strings and and all these dudes are all staring at them and Pat and looking at musicianship and and here's the little guy in the middle shaking his tail feather for the ticket girl. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was it was all dudes. And in the beginning they were like, uh, no way are we gonna stick around for the opening act. It was they were all buying T shirts or beer or talking or just turning their backs on us, you know. Like I remember when we uh, first gig was, I do remember this too. I think it was North Carolina. We pull up to this hotel and it says on the marquee, welcome, Mr. Big, B-I-G-G. <laughs> Nobody, no one cares. Anyway, we played the gig and then a couple days or a week into it, the Rush guys were standing on the side of the stage. I mean, Neil too, watching us and go, oh, you guys are good. Wow. You're not just, you know, it ain't just the pretty face in the middle. I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys are really, really good. And they started talking about us in press when they would do interviews and stuff. And then the fans just started to take us in under their wings. And, and we work it out. Hey, look, it grew, though. You know, I think I'm not patting myself on the back or for helping this out. But I remember Getty and Alex coming to our dressing room. Saying thank you guys for bringing women to the gigs, <laughs> to the to the gigs, you know, and and they were genuinely, no, really, thank you, <laughs> you know, and so uh, it did make me feel good. For a guy that traveled the world, played India, Japan, several places in Europe, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you on a stage? Oh, man, uh, I've fallen off stages. This has happened probably. Uh, you know, enough times to say I might have a problem. (laughs) 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 Ballots. Some people have drinking problems and, but like, yeah, I I don't know where I'm going back there. I mean, like I do wear glasses now. I I mean, maybe my eyes were going back in the day, but you know, we'd open, but like when we headline, started to get a little more popular, we'd have the whole stage and, you know, Billy and Paul, tons of amps. And it would be all over, you know, stacked in the back and everything. So when Billy would do a solo or Paul would do a solo, I'd run behind Billy's amp. Mainly because he had a whole world back there that said Billy's Cafe. He had the wine back there. <laughs> yeah, he had a wine. Yeah, he had the wine, wine bottle and, and glasses, some fruit and cheese, shit like that. <laughs> anyway, um, but I'd go, I'd go back. And there would be some black curtain and we're playing some arena and I'm just, Oh man, I've leaned against the curtain with no wall there. And 
and fell. Could have killed myself so many times. I fell on the ice at Maple Leaf Gardens. I fell on some road cases that were about, I could have been killed. It was like maybe the stage was maybe 10 feet high or maybe 15, I don't know, 20. And, uh, but I fell, but I landed on road cases instead of landing on the, on the floor. Oh yeah. I have two knee surgeries from spinning around on stage and tripping over monitors. Oh yeah. Accident waiting to happen. Where is that exactly? Everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Now I'm just kind of standing still in my old age, you know, just kind of concentrating on the music, telling the jokes, telling the stories, ball busting a little bit. Has it ever stopped you from finishing a show? No, no. There's one one incident, and it was so stupid. It was in, uh, I think it was Korea, and uh, the dressing was really far away from the stage. And I went back there. Billy's doing a solo. Now, yes, I should have been watching him. But I've seen, hey, buddy, I've seen 8,000 shows, you know. I've seen him play, you know, millions of bass solos and guitar solos. So I thought maybe, okay, I'm going to go back. I don't change my shirt. So I'm changing my shirt. I got my, my in-ears, wires, and the earplug kind of things. And, and I'm trying to put on this sports shirt from this one area in Korea. And wherever we were, you know, Seoul or something. And I put in the shirt, and I'm a little sweaty. I'm going nuts and, and I quickly put it on really quick and I ran out the door and I like ran into the wall, kind of knocked myself out. And then the shirt over my head. And then I finally got out to the stage and I didn't know where we were in the set. And I've seen that video. They don't show me, you know, headless chicken backstage, but they show Billy doing the solo and then them going like almost half the song of Addicted at Rush with Billy singing it because the lead singer, you know, didn't make it on the stage. So I've almost missed the gig, but I've never, I've never been hurt enough to not play the gig. I mean, I, I've, in 1993, I wore shorts a lot on stage because I had a knee brace, <laughs> you know, from breaking something. Yeah. So that pretty much the whole year I was uh, hobbling around, but never missed a show. No. Yeah. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. You were just waiting for a cool story, weren't you? Like, oh, when I lit myself on fire. <laughs> I thought it was cool that you slipped the blame it on my youth lyric in there. I thought that was pretty cool. Did I? Yeah, I'm an accident waiting to happen. Oh, uh, I'm a poet and I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'm living my life one after the other. Yeah. Oh, that was a cool last tune.
love that tune. Accident waiting to happen. Yeah, that's a story of my life, kid. Thinking back, what created the craziness in Japan for you guys? What's your take on it? Right time, right place. But, you know, Billy went to Japan in the beginning, even before we had a band name. And he was explaining, he would do, and he still does it, bass clinics, mm-hmm. you know, where he plays some bass and kind of shows people what he does and uh, telling stories about it and then like kind of rip out. I don't look, there's more to a clinic than that, but he did that in Japan. He did a lot. It was, you know, he called it campaigning. And he talked about Mr. Big and talked about the new band and, and it just, all this hype about it. And our first tour, which wasn't that long, I mean, and we were only playing maybe 500 seater, maybe, maybe 1500. And it just caught on the, uh, it's like the same fans came every time we, we went to Japan. We went to Japan a lot. Cost a lot of money to go to Japan, you know, and you make money, but it costs a lot of times you break even in the beginning mm-hmm. and a lot of bands don't come back because it's just, they can't afford it, you know? And also you catch the public on a good day. It's almost like to be with you. I don't know how, how that happened too, but some fluke, something in the air, a lot of the same fans kept coming back over the years and years and coming to multiple shows. And it's almost like we grew up together. There was no emails and texts back in the day. It was letters. And after shows that were like, you know, look, we always play about two hours. And then we'd go back to the hotel room and not, you know, party on all through the night. We'd be like laying on the floor answering hundreds and hundreds of letters. And that was something to do with it. Not, you know, spreading a little love, getting to know people, uh, a lot of interviews, a lot of interaction with fans. When we'd go to the gig, we'd sign some autographs and take pictures and all that. We never like went in some nameless bands or going to a hotel and I get security and whisked away and never have any contact with the fans. And we always did. And somehow it just kind of stuck. They made us, you know, fans, sweethearts there for a minute for a long, long time. And we went from playing 500 seaters to 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. It was pretty, pretty mega and multiple Budokan arenas sold out and, and, oh, and, and we still played hard rock cafes and we still kind of were out and about. We were all, I was, I, I love those fans over there. And I, I know I just, just had such a strong kind of love connection. That's all I can, I can say. I would love to ask a Japanese fan, why Mr. Big, you know? And it's just, we kept coming back. We were in their face, you know? We wanted to be friends. We kept the friendship going it was a friendship on fire you know you were talking about to be with you you know when it went number one do you know what song it took over for do you remember oh i know you this is this is the part where you, you you're chopping at the bit just to bust my balls right now aren't you no 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 i'm gonna <laughs> tell you yeah, what the saying, song is if you don't yeah, remember yeah 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 hey, hold on hold on i'll tell you what okay sonny <laughs> why don't you sing it go ahead <laughs> <laughs> Sing the song you took over for? Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay, you ready? <laughs> I'm. I don't think I don't think anybody's ready. I don't think anybody's ready for this. Go ahead. <laughs> it's the I'm too sexy song. My right said friend. Yes, it is. You chicken shit. Why don't you? You're not singing it. 
What do you got stage fright? I am. What's going on? I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my okay, shirt. That's I can no. Live this oh no, no. That's it. That's, you're done. <laughs> do you remember Dude. what took you out of the number one spot? Do you remember that song? Uh Prince? And Essa Williams. Oh yeah, that's right, Vanessa Williams. Was it a yeah Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying I remember that song, that song but it was a it was a huge smash hit. But yeah, that man, the song that the gift it keeps on giving. It took <laughs> is it a blessing and a curse? Is I mean, it, no, it's to have a huge hit song. Absolutely but. not, man. It took, I want to say it took 20 weeks at least or 10 or 15 weeks to get, I mean, it was, we were popping champagne when it was like, woohoo, we're 85. Woohoo. I tell you here, this is a Billy Sheehan thing where you get so excited. Woohoo. Anyway. We were testing champagne back in the day, and then it slowly crept, you know, with a bullet and the whole, all the billboard terms, and it would go up and up and up and up. And then it lasted for about three weeks. I mean, it was like no other experience I've ever had in my life. And it lasted about three weeks, and it was over. And then it took forever to come down, which was great because that's where you're, it was still in the public eye. The pressure was off that it wasn't number one anymore. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a fantastic time. You know, I'm just going to throw it out there. Where I was when that was number one was at a uh, crummy little shitty wet bar dive in Daytona Beach, Florida, called Finkies. And we pull up to the place, and all the gear is right in the middle of the stage. And the sound guys, you know, just getting to the gig. It's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He goes, huh? Hey, look, I, I just do sound. I don't, I don't pump gear. So you guys are going to have to do it. So I remember us and the crew are taking this gear off, you know, setting up microphones, kind of doing it ourselves. And uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. And that night, it was just lines around the block. I was like, you know, like, that's it. What happened? What's going on? <laughs> we didn't know. We didn't really know. We didn't have any big contact. Nobody was saying, I mean, we knew that the video was out there. And we knew we were doing really good on MTV, but Billboard magazine, come on, man. I didn't read Billboard magazine. I was never in it, you know? Right. I was in the news and noteworthy section a long, long time ago for Eric Martin band, Sucker for a Pretty Face. And they they kind of liked the album. It was kinda, I think they might even said the poor man's Night Ranger, maybe, which was like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> but then they go, yeah, on the on the cover of the Sucker record, Eric Martin looks like Audrey Hepburn, which was like, dude, another obstacle I got to go through. (laughs) Anyway, I can't win. I didn't get Audrey Hepburn out of the cover of uh, that record. Maybe Ralph Macchio a little bit, but not Audrey Hepburn. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. People, (laughs) I used to get that all the time. You look like Ralph Macchio. (laughs) Joni loves Tachi. What the hell is a sniglet? A sniglet is a made-up word that I think Paul Gilbert came up with, or Billy, and it's an idea. It could be a cassette little demo with about 10 of the same ideas, a couple little other ideas with it. It's just a, it's a hodgepodge. And one little idea will spark you enough to write a song around it, and that's a sniglet. That's the Mr. Big Sniglet. <laughs> It's like a Scooby snack, you know? (laughs) 
That's funny. All right. Since Mr. Big's last three studio albums were on Frontiers Records, I'm a little bit surprised that Serafino isn't calling you every week to put you together with uh, some other guitar player for a super group. What's up with that? Well, not really. He has tried, but it's, it's, it's just never the right fit for me. It's always just a little, yeah, it's just, it's never the right fit. The one fit that was going to happen, and this is 10 years ago, was he wanted me and Steve Luca to do, do an album together. I was beside myself on that. God, I remember talking to Luke about it. God, I think this was in the middle. This is a long, long time ago. I think he, he was working or finished with his Kingdom of Desire record, solo record. And then shortly after that, he didn't know what he was going to do. And, and Serafino wanted to put us together to do a solo album. And Serafino, yeah, the, the, the head honcho, the Indian chief of uh, Frontiers Records, guy's a, a a huge fan of rock and roll but yeah i don't know i just it wasn't the right fit and and it could have should have would have happened i said yes to some things and no to some things and hey look it i remember when they were trying to put something together for me and i had there was all kinds of things that almost happened like there was a little time where i was going to work with warren d martini and i uh this guy oliver hartman and sasha payeth that are the guitar players for the rock and metal opera entity that I'm a part of called Avantasia. And that still could happen, but yeah, it's just right time, right place. Didn't work out. I have to be sparked. You know, I have to playing with Paul Gilbert over the years and Richie Kotzen as well. Two incredible, great guitar players. And I, I, I was just so sparked and our connection as writers and I thought Luke would have been perfect for that. I haven't seen or um, worked with Neil Sean in years, but that you know, guys like that, I'm I'm sparked by. And um, I, I wasn't sparked by some of the ones that he was throwing at me. So it's, yeah, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> there's so much downtime in between my endings of my answer. It's like, yeah, and I didn't do Van Halen. <laughs> And then it's, and then the and the and then the wave comes up to the beach, and it goes back out, and then you fuckers speak. Okay, go ahead. We try not to talk over one another, and that all that means to me is that there's not going to be a new Martin and Lynch record out tomorrow. Oh, Martin and Lynch! Oh my God, you're you're hilarious. Oh There's no way or, Lynch. Or, it'll be Lynch and Martin. There's no way he's going to go for Martin and Lynch. That's not oh. going to happen. Why? Uh, Michael Sweet gave it up, right? Sweet and Lynch. What about uh, Lynch and um, didn't he have a group with uh, uh, Doug Pinnock? Oh yeah, yeah. KXM. KXM. What's that stand for? It's Kings X, Lynch Mob, and um, and Corn. Uh, so the K is for. Corn, the X is for King's X, and the M is for Lynch Mob. That's it. Oh, wow, man. That's a stretch. <laughs> I'm sorry. No offense. <laughs> I could just totally see that guy from Corn just coming over and kicking the shit out of me. I'm going to take that back. All right. None of the other guys, but anyway. Both the area guys, I know you love Y&T. Tell me about the love for oh, Y&T, because yeah. I love them. Oh, I love them. I love them to death. I mean... You know, if you would have asked me the second concert that I went to see, 
and that would have been Queen at Winterland, and they were amazing. But Y&T opened, and they were like 16 years old, 17 or something, and I was 16 or younger or whatever. And man, that Dave Manichetti sparked a shit at me, and Phil Kenamore, and Leonard Hayes, and Joey Alves. I mean, I, I was just so taken by that band, and still am to this day. I just love their energy. They put on a great show. Every record, I don't know about every record, but live, they just have state-of-the-art sound, powerful, crunchy guitars. Manichetti can sing circles around so many so many great people, and the people that I love, and I'm like, yeah, this guy's good. He's a cross between a lot of great singers that I love. I've met a lot of rock stars and movie stars over the, day, over the years, but I don't know why the hell I'm so nervous around Dave Manichetti. Because he was my local hero when I was growing up. Even John Nyman, you know, goes, dude, are you okay? I'm like, dude, I'm out of breath. I don't know what to say to this dude. You know, I've opened up YT so many times in America and Europe. I play this gig with them a couple times. They always play it. It's a Mystic Theater in Petaluma. They have, I think they have a live album from there, mm -hmm. one or two. Yeah. And it's an old, it looks beautiful and ornate outside inside it's kind of dilapidated a little bit but it's a pretty good sounding room and uh i'll do my little acoustic show i think i played played with the fillmore with mark slaughter and we opened together and then i've done a couple times on my own but at the mystic i finished my little 45 minute set get toweled off knock back a few beers and then make a beeline to the front of the stage with the fans that all know me, not necessarily from the performer or the entertainer guy, but as one of their brother brothers in arms or lover of YNT, the mighty YNT. And they just kind of part the Red Seas and they come up and they're like, hey, Eric. And I'm I'm like motor fist right in the in Dave Maticetti's face going, dirty girl. You know, I've done it <laughs> so many times. I've been on like, I remember I was on this Swedish rock and roll cruise and I, I played and Y&T, man, they didn't, they didn't start playing till uh, three o'clock in the morning. Everybody's all drunk and burnt out and uh, outside smoking. And I'm like, I remember going, come on, everybody, Y&T's playing. And I was like right in the front, powder my, my fist in the air. And Phil grabs me and brings me back on stage. And I'm saying, dirty girl, I've done it. You know, summertime girls. Oh, man, I just, I love that band so much. You got a couple of teenagers, correct? Yeah, I have uh, twin 15-year-old boys, Dylan and Jacob Martin. Oh, wait a minute. You mean sons, right? You don't mean I have a couple 15-year-olds on the side? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, we're, ta we're talking about your kids. Uncool. <laughs> don't, don't throw your inappropriate smack at me. Now, yeah, I have uh, uh, twin 15-year-old boys. Yeah, let's say one of them comes to you and wants to start a band or make music. What would be your advice to them? I would be ecstatic, for one thing, because when they were little kids, I just threw it on them, man. I'm like, you know, got Jacob interested in playing piano. Dylan wanted to play bass guitar. And uh, I reached out to Billy Sheehan. This was like when we were on our little hiatus in between after Richie Kotzen and uh, about a year from doing that What If album. I reached out to Billy Sheehan and, uh, as an olive branch just to talk to him 
and I hadn't talked to him in so many years. And I said, my son wants to play bass. And Billy found a bass guitar for my son and sent it for Christmas one year. And I was, I was over the moon, man. I, you know, he was going for uh, bass lessons. I remember this one Father's Day. There's this festival in Novato, California. It's called the Art and Wine Festival of Novato. And I, my solo band, got I grabbed some great musicians and around, and uh, we played. And Dylan came up and played "To Be With You," and oh man, I was on the moon. But sports took over. You know, hormones were racing. Basketball just took over, and uh, they just stopped playing music. So if they started playing music again, and these are, these are kids that were like, you know, when they were like five years old, they're dancing on the bed. I'm trying to get them to go to sleep and they're dancing on the bed, listening to highway to hell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they had like a little iPod and they, you know, like, you know, whatever. And, uh, they love rock and roll. And they, they love the musician thing that they were like so excited with, you know, Mr. Big. And they went to Budokan a bunch of times and big, huge gigs and saw me play. And it was so exciting. And I loved, I loved having my son's, be a part of that so yeah if they got the music bug again i'd be oh i would be i could retire no (laughs) i I could i could drift away so you brainwashed them with a little bit of rock and roll early on when they come over to hang out with you nowadays what are they listening to do you know uh bullshit (laughs) uh you know absolute bullshit like you know Whatever the guy's name, Takeshi sixty nine or I don't even know their names. <laughs> you know, it's all the latest rap stuff. Ah, oh, just and it's and they don't really they listen to it and they do know the lyrics of it, the raps and everything. It's in their video games. When they're they're straight A students, you know, they're obviously doing uh, online schooling. They're really good at school, really good at their mother's a you know mathematician, so they're really good at math. And they, you know, they love their basketball and they're, they're in all kinds of programs of basketball. But, you know, in their little downtime, they play Fortnite and NBA 2K and Madden. And I think Dylan plays FIFA sometimes. But, yeah, that music, there's no rock and roll in video games anymore. And I remember um, years ago, you know, they we played To Be With You around the house. And it was, it was I played, it was just, a, you know, it's like a nursery rhyme song anyway. And the kids were loving it back in the day. I remember we, we were videoing Dylan and he, he had a ukulele and he was bouncing on the bed singing, but he didn't go, Hey, you want to sing, you want to sing daddy's song? <laughs> and he goes, okay. And, he, and it breaks out into go, go power Rangers because <laughs> I sang the theme song for this movie that came out. It was, you know, the power Rangers movie. And I sang that go, go power Rangers song. And I was like, yeah, you want to sing daddy's song? And he's like, go, go, Power Rangers. No, no, that's not the song. <laughs> but anyway, I thought that was cute. I have that I have that on video. I'm going to bring it out, you know, when he gets married. <laughs> bring it out for his bachelor party. See how that goes. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, God. So you still sound great these days. How are you keeping your voice healthy? Do you find uh, you need to adjust with how you sing over time? Uh... Yeah. I mean, I'm not kidding when I, you know, I don't know where, whether it was 40 or 50 or whatever, but yeah, my balls definitely dropped somewhere along the line. I don't know, you know, 
a tree fell in Brooklyn. I don't I don't know when it was, but my voice changed. I used to have a screamy kind of high, clean kind of voice, and then gravel kind of took over from old age and wear and tear. And like even my speaking voice back in the day was, uh, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, it's like a little more squeaky clean. And now it's all like, yeah, what's going on? Like all gravelly and sound like I've been, you know, smoking 10 cigars a day, knocking back the whiskey. But um, how do I keep it together? I mean, I'll, I'll do a vocal lesson once in a while and I sing all the time. So, you know, I'm, I'm keeping my chops up. Herbie Herbert used to say, Eric's got more chops than a butcher shop, you know? <laughs> so I keep doing that. And maybe, and you know what? Just maybe. Your listeners are going to like have a laugh at this one. The talking, Mr. Big Mouth. I don't know. I'm constantly warming that voice up, aren't I? I know some people who, you know, they try to do less talking because it, it helps them with their voice, but not you. You warm up. You, you keep it greased up well. <laughs> the, the band used to tell me, Eric, shut up. Stop talking to the fans. You know, why don't you take a breather? Drink some water. You know, start doing a vocal lesson. You know, because we got a show in a couple hours. And I'm like, yeah, 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 just one more, one, you know, one minute. I'm in the middle of a story. So, yeah, I mean, like, hey, look, there's a lot of times, uh, especially Mr. Big, you know, that's like 24 songs a night. And, uh, yeah, I have to pace myself because one of the questions you were talking about, or one of the little stories you were saying about my father being an entertainer, drummer, singer, and all that, he was the spotlight kid. I mean, at all the parties and dinner parties that we would have at our house, you know, he was the one wearing the lampshade, you know, and I wasn't. So at a certain point, you have to kind of pace yourself before you're going to do this long ass tour with that many songs. You have to be on point, you know, people are coming to hear. I used to make this joke where people come to the show and they're looking, they're bringing their lean into it albums or bump ahead or, or early records. And they're looking at it and they're looking at me going, what happened? Yeah. Where's your hair? Which is funny, but they want you to be just like that guy on the record. Mm -hmm. So man, you have to pace yourself. You can't talk and, you know, do rookie moves. like get all drunk the first week. Woohoo. This is so exciting. We're on the road, this party. No, that's a rookie move. You can't do that. And smoking and drinking and having a good old time and staying out and sexing it up. <laughs> you just, have, <laughs> you have to take a breather. And the key to my existence as a performer, and it's hard to because I have really problems with sleeping, is getting a good night's sleep. If I can get seven hours, man, I'm I'm on fire. I'm somebody's hero. But if I don't, I'll feel it, you know. And even drinking, oh God, it's the killer. Because I'll party it up sometimes on a day off, but if I party too much, the next day. I can sing like the best you've ever heard me. But the next day, oh, God, sound like shit. So you got to, <laughs> yeah, anyway, good night's sleep and pace yourself, kids. I know there's musicians you're listening to me and go, ah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, I mean, you've been in this business a while. There's never been anything like what we're going through right now. Like, what are you hearing the new normal is going to be on live shows. Like, is everybody really going to be wearing masks and shit? Like, I mean, are you hearing stuff or promoters calling you saying, Hey, six months at least, or what are you hearing? I'm just hearing that 
a lot of live streaming kind of gigs, which is, I mean, it's kind of anything and everything. I'll do anything to entertain, but the whole segment of that whole thing about going on the road is actually going on the road, getting off the fricking couch, you know, the last three months now, I'm almost a part of the couch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) my ass is a part of the couch. Anyway, all I hear is, I look, I have this kind of side, kind of fun band uh, when I'm not touring with Aventasia or waiting for the Mr. Big phone to ring, the bad phone, or uh, playing acoustic on tour. I have this side thing with me and PJ Farley from Trickster and this guy Ben Hans as a percussion player for Kip Winger. And the three of us, no name, EM3 or Eric Morton Trio, we'll go out around the United States and House of Blues, Daryl's House, you know, stuff like that. And uh, I do hear, I do have some gigs. I'm like, you're kidding. You know, until we hear otherwise, I think one of them's August 29th. So I do hear something opening up. I don't know what capacity this is, you know, or people being far away from each other. I think masks are going to be a part of our lives for a long, long, long time. Everybody's going to look like they're, you know, sticking up the bank. And uh, it's really weird, man. It's like you walk around my neighborhood and, and you're, you're all your neighborhoods and everybody's wearing it, you know, trying to be safe. And, and that's the main thing. I'm, I want to go out there. I really want to play, but I want to make, I don't want, I don't want anybody to be like, oh, I saw Eric Martin and that was my last concert I ever saw. You know, I want everybody to be around and be safe and all that. But I don't, I hear what you hear. And I got sick of, I was watching CNN so much. Remember like like all those, uh, the hearings, the trials, remember the whole thing with Trump and, uh, and he said, she said stuff that was going on. And then shortly after that, that's when the COVID thing happened. So I was riveted to CNN and watching this stuff and finding out what's going on. Everything was like negative and all that. And I just stopped listening to it and watching TV. I'm just waiting for my neighbor, one of my neighbors, to do like a town prior thing going, it's over. <laughs> we can go out. You know? All right. So we got a little lightning round. I think you're going to do great at this because I think you love yeah. this kind of shit, but uh, don't think too yeah. much about it. Just answer the questions. Okay. They're all easy. So this is like a so, rock and roll Rorschach test. Uh, kind of, uh, but it's not all rock and roll. So song you wish you wrote. I wish I wrote bridge over troubled water. Oh, nice. How about two desert Island albums? COVID-19 is real. You're going to move to a desert Island. What two albums got to go with you? Two albums got to go. Uh, well, I absolutely love uh, Mad Dogs and Englishman. That live album, I, I love it. I listen to it all the time. It's got everything I want on it. Rock and roll, country, soulful stuff on it. That's one. And the second one would be, say if I was on this island for a long, long time, I would go with uh, Exile on Main Street, Rolling Stones. Stones, yeah. All right. Netflix Ozark or Amazon Prime's Bosch? Which one's better? Amazon Prime Bosch. Boom. Really? Ozark? Man, I love Ozark. No, I I love Ozark, but Bosch, not that it's current. I can identify with it. It's like you're you're doing a ride along with this guy. Kind of brings you in. I love Titus Welliver. I love that show. And I love Ozark, man. Trust me. I'm riveted by that, that show, but Bosch, hands down. Yeah. 
Right. So we're talking about songs on this one. Black Tiger, Mean Streak, or Lipstick and Leather? Black Tiger. I you like Lipstick you, and Leather. I've, I've, I've heard yeah. Lipstick and Leather so many times. This guy named Benny Labarge wrote it for those guys. He was in a band called Benny and the Jets. And I've heard that song too many times. But I, Black Tiger never, never gets old. Yeah. What was the last album you purchased? You said you got a bunch. What was the thing you bought physical product like? Actual album? Yeah. Like a vinyl? Uh, uh, it could be CD, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to look because I put it on some of them on display because I haven't listened to them yet. I mean, I used to listen to them all the time back in the day, but an album called Spiders from Mars, which was David Bowie's backup band. The complete singles Stax Volt set a volume nine, actually. It's a nine CD set. And it keeps saying back in the day. That's my thing. That's, I, I, that's The password is back in the day. <laughs> you know, a long time ago, it was probably a couple hundred bucks, but I got it for like next to nothing. Those two. And oh, oh, this is the best too. There was a band in San Francisco years and years ago called Earthquake. This guy, Gary Phillips, who was a really good friend's with Mike Varney, the guy that brought me and Billy Sheehan together for Mr. Big. I've known Mike uh, my whole life, musical life, but Gary Phillips was the guitar player of Earthquake. They were on Berserkly Records. Greg Kinn uh, was on that uh, label. But Earthquake was this really cool uh, rock and roll band, almost the same time as Y&T, maybe even first. And they did a version of David Bowie's Friday on My Mind, which is... I'm going to do one day. I know there's a few people who've done it. I think maybe, what's his name? Gary, you guys know, Thin Lizzy. He's the guitar player, singer guy. Oh, he was uh, in it for a minute. Gorman? No, not Scott Gorman. You know, is it bluesy guitar player. You're not talking about John Sykes, are you? No, bumpkin. are <laughs> 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 like, you're not talking about uh, <laughs> Gary shit. Gary Moore. Oh, okay. Gary Moore. I, yeah, Gary Moore. Yeah. He did a version of Friday on My Mind as well. But Earthquake, look it up. Earthquake, Rockin' the World. And it was guys that, you know, I don't know, probably never heard of. Stan Miller, bass guitar. John Dukas, uh, singer. Gary Phillips, who was a guitar player. And he, he was the first guy, I, when I first moved to San Francisco and trying to get on the music scene, he introduced me to everybody. And I totally idolized uh, this guy. He wore a black football shirt with two O's on it. And then I wore that same thing. You know, I like, he was, he was somebody, somebody I, I was kind of fanboy for. They were a band that I, I used to open to as well. And I got their record. And they had, man, they did Tin Soldier, which was Small Faces, Steve Marriott. See how we're doing this? Coming around full circle. <laughs> Yeah. And Friday on My Mind, which you guys remember this and you don't remember it because what, what are you guys in your fucking 30s? Anyway, uh, <laughs> or, or pretending to be. Um, Friday on My Mind was Vonda and Young, and that was Young, Angus, and Malcolm's brother. So, oh, okay. They wrote Friday on My Mind. They were called the Easy yeah. Beats. Anyway, hey, maybe we should turn this around and I interview you next time. And we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Really, no, really growing up with rock. <laughs> Tell me a must-have on the tour bus. What's a must-have? Uh, specifically? 
Yeah, for you. A, a must-have on the tour bus. I have to have a PS4. I have to have a PlayStation. And oh. I have to have either really good wine, red wine, from uh, Argentina, a Malbec, and uh, sensible shoes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you don't have to tell us the bandmate because we know you've worked with some great ones. But what's the craziest thing you've seen on a rider? Like you look at the rider going, really? We're going to ask for that? Oh, my God. I just saw it the other day. Iggy Pop. I mean, I've never witnessed, you know, like all the bands that I've opened to, Scorpions, the big tours, Scorpions, Aerosmith, Rush, two tours with Rush. They weren't that far-fetched. I mean, they had... As in under glass. It wasn't like that, but it was catered, really good food. I mean, look, we had, even when we were got famous, we still had a deli tray, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> we had a deli tray. I was like, really? They gave us two six packs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, where's that bottle of red wine? It's mine, Eric. Get your own. You know, yeah. It was, yeah, we didn't have that much. And, if the guys, the headliners, they had a little bit more, it would be, you know, food in tins. Our food was in plastic. <laughs> you know, I saw this thing with Iggy Pop. It was ridiculous. I mean, I know, look, I love David Bowie. I love the Iggy Pop, David Bowie connection. But I saw the specs the band wanted, you know, the type of amps and, and all this stuff. And that makes sense. But the catering... And, uh, you know, the environment, curtains and couches and all this stuff was like way too far-fetched. But there was one little thing that stuck out that was kind of funny. And it said, vegetarian means vegetarian, no meat. And no, what do you say? Something like, if you can have no sharks or snakes or endangered animals cooking. And always have a nurse stand by because if you do have some of that stuff, something might bite. Something like that is ridiculous, <laughs> but I mean, look, you've heard, you know, the Van Halen thing with the brown M&Ms, and I've heard stuffed white bunnies and and Fruit of the Loom underwear, uh, <laughs> but there was one, we did have one really, and this is coming straight from quirky Paul Gilbert back in the day, he would love him and Pat, he was on a health kick, and he made carrot juice. And we'd have to have bunches and bunches of carrots, a la Captain Kangaroo style. We just and we'd they'd just dump it off in our dressing room. So we had the one bottle of wine, two six packs, a deli tray, and a plethora of carrots stacked up and <laughs> on some table. And then he would have to have legs pantyhose. Now stick with me here. <laughs> legs pantyhose, because we had a carrot juice machine. And the filter would would always break, but Paul came up with this idea where, you know, take legs, pantyhose, and cut the holes like in the feet or wherever, and you put it over the the hood of the carrot juice maker. It would strain it properly, and he'd have carrot juice. Hey, look, look. That's as far as I know. I was I was I was into my second bottle of wine back in that. I, I have no <laughs> idea what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, Eric, it's it's legs pantyhose, and and the best place to get them is Kmart. I'm like, yeah, yeah, call me if you need me, you know. <laughs> okay, I mean, and so yeah, but that was on our rider, legs pantyhose and carrots, 
can you imagine what other people thought about us? And like, what kind of hedonistic <laughs> shit Mr. Big's into, you know? You had a bunch of hits. What one Mr. Big song do you think could have been a hit and either wasn't released as a single? You were surprised it didn't do better. I wrote a song with my partner in crime, Andre Pessis. Andre, who, you know, we've written a lot of songs together. But we wrote a song called Promise of the Moon that I thought was a really good song, quirky. It wasn't a formulaic song. Like, Just Take My Heart definitely was pop-oriented. And, you know, as soon as we finished it, I think, I, oh, wow, they might play this on the radio. But Promise of the Moon was the... Uh, but like a sleeper hit. Uh, Billy Sheen always loved that song as well. And he was like, why didn't the record company see this? You know, but yeah, promise to the moon. I know I'm going to get off the phone with you and probably do a, a Google search from, you know, of myself <laughs> and go, I should have told him that one. <laughs> That's good. So uh, let's make fun of Joey for a minute because, you know, Besides the 500-page book he wrote, or, you know, you can spend the whole year listening for the audiobooks. <laughs> there's no, oh, man. There's no I, same person's shit. Hey, man, you know, I feel so bad. I mean, look, and I'm blaming it on my, my eyesight. And then Joey remedied that. He got, he made an audiobook, right? And I still really haven't listened to it, which sucks. I'm a fair weather friend that I am. But I got to remember what he, I go, you should do an audio book. I kept pushing like, ah, this is Joey Quesada. You know, I can just hear it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm an actor. Yeah. I'm a drummer. I like Kiss that I will tell you about every chapter of this book. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I saw Kiss when I was a young man, you know. Anyway, <laughs> and like reading it, reading it like, you know, like a guy who's not an actor reading it like when I was a little boy, you know, so um, <laughs> please leave this shit in because I love the guy. Oh, we're leaving the shit in. No <laughs> we're going to highlight this part. On kind of a sad note, I met Joey at a tribute for David Z in New York. I was, uh, there's, what's that band? Rubik's Cube. And they're a, they're a band full of the great musicians that have played in bands and stuff. You know, C. Brown's in it from Trickster. And I think, uh, what's that boy's name? Great singer, kid. God. Russell Allen from Adrenaline Mob. And he did it uh, as well. And, and David Z, who was in Adrenaline Mob as well, I think. But anyway, um, Rubik's Cube asked me to come and do like, you know, they're an 80s tribute band thing. And, and I'm thinking eh, a couple hundred people were there. I mean, it was 5,000 people in New York in this amazing theater. And um, and then David was learning a couple songs, like To Be With You and maybe Alive and Kick In. And I didn't even know him, heard of him before. And then he passed away, you know, from that accident, the car accident. And then a couple weeks later, they did a tribute for him in New York, which was that gig. They turned this whole Ruby's Cube featuring, you know, our star this month, you know, Eric Martin, into a David Z tribute thing. So there was all these artists that came and uh, celebrities and stuff. And that's when I first met Joe, Joey Casada, 
and then and Chris Jericho, or my son was a huge fan of Chris, and and so was I. I mean, I, I'm a wrestling fan as well as jo- Joey is like an he's off the hook wrestling fan. He wanted he wanted to be a wrestler, probably as much as he wanted to be a drummer. You know, if you read that far into the book, <laughs> <laughs> page and, three thousand and eighty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was only in one page. I was like. God, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the 80th page. How far could it go? Oh my God. It's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, Tolstoy's starts with a dream, you know, <laughs> you know, the Bible is a little bit bigger. God. <laughs> anyway, but I met Joey and, and Joey played on a couple of songs of mine and Chris came up too. And, and it was good. And Joey, I mean, everybody was pretty maudlin that night, really sad. And then the parents were there and David Z and all that. But I met all these these people, and then I, I totally connected with Joey. He had a really good sense of humor. He's a genuine sweetheart of a guy. And then he, I didn't even know about this book. And we played we played together. Me, Steve Brown, PJ Farley, and Joey have our little Eric Martin featuring the knuckleheads from New Jersey. You know, well, whatever. That's what I call it. And they go, we don't like that name, Eric or E. Hey, E, we don't like that name. Like, you're stuck with it. So. Joey, yeah, man, starts with a dream. I'm proud of the guy. He's written this book. And he, oh my god! So this thread that we have, uh, we call it uh, Gig Pigs Roundtable. <laughs> okay. Trademark by Eric Martin. I just wanted to throw that out there. If any of those guys are thinking about going to the patent office, anyway. And Joey is constantly telling Chris, you know, hey, hawk my book. You know, he's hawking his book. I mean, look, he he had a number one bestseller for a minute. You know? Yeah. And it was supposed to be a really feel good book about his. It's supposed to be. Look at me, fair weather friend, man. It's supposed <laughs> to be. Uh, I mean, it is. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good guy. But oh, yeah. So when I met him, and I didn't know about the show, and he told me about Z Rock, that television show that he had with the ZO2 guys. Yeah. And I thought it was so hilarious and so like risque kind of kind of and I'm like yeah, definitely not not so much drugs but lots of sex and then rock and roll you know just real funny yeah he gave me a, those couple seasons and that I've watched those I didn't read his book god damn it what kind of <laughs> friend am I what kind of friend am I <laughs> oh good lord oh my god please I know he's gonna go he's totally gonna that's what they do these you know, these Easterners, they love to bust balls. They're going to give me so much agita. So, Eric, so what's next? I mean, I guess it's kind of a waiting point in, at this point, but. What's next? Uh, getting off the couch, uh, getting away from like, we're all fans of rock and roll music and, you know, anything to do with rock and roll. And we're talking about, what are you talking about? Ozark is way better than Bosch, you know. Well, look where we become, you know. I didn't used to watch this much TV. You know, look, in the beginning, I was so gung-ho where I've been touring for six years straight uh, with Mr. Big, Avantasia, solo stuff, and just out on the road for a long, long time. And so when this COVID thing happened, I was, well, Eric, you know, you're going to take a breather, take a break. I didn't want a break, but one break coming up. And I took it, and it was good, and I was Man, I was going through, listening to my ideas. I'm, I'm an idea man. I got hundreds of ideas, but haven't finished the goddamn thing. 
and just writing and writing and uh, haven't really come up with that album that's sparking me yet, which is, God, man, it's been so many years, but I will hang on for dear life. Hope like hell this, the virus subsides and we can get out there and play to people. Even if it's, I don't know how we do it. I mean, playing on TV and streaming kind of thing, it's just not the same thing. You know, you, you, you miss somebody throwing a beer can up on the stage or you miss somebody like, shut up and play your hit. No, I don't, I don't miss that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> that's happened to me many times. That's it. You know, okay. I'm, hey, like, you know, or like, hey, with you and I go it's only the second song give me a break you know give me a little <laughs> shut up and play it yeah I've had I've I've heard it but I do miss I love the smell of beer soaked carpet at nighttime I miss the smoke in the air I miss people laughing I miss busting somebody's balls when they're talking while I'm talking about a tune and I love singing in front of people I miss that I can totally imagine hey you I'm finally going to do the hit can you shut the fuck up I'm about to do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, man, look, it's, it's People's Republic. Come on now. I mean, like, I'm, <laughs> busting, I, I'm constantly busting balls, but, you know, I want the people to come to see you play and sing your songs and put it on YouTube with you singing it, but they're singing over you. Now, that's just something about that. <laughs> just something. <laughs> I remember seeing uh, Paul McCartney at the Greek theater, I think, in, in Berkeley, or it was some outdoor show in Berkeley. And uh, it was me and Pat and Paul singing, yesterday, blah, blah, blah. And Pat is singing at the top of his lungs. I go, dude, don't you want to hear Paul McCartney? He goes, hey, stay with me. You know, like you just become a fan and you're like, I'm singing with Paul McCartney. So, so if people want to sing with me at the top of their lungs, so be it. Do it. Go for it. I can't wait for those days to come back. I miss it so much. I miss people. Like I said earlier, I miss talking to, talking and singing in front of people that are over 15 years old. Oh, and I'd love to see my girlfriend again, too. That would be awesome. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I still have a girlfriend. I don't know. <laughs> I could say so many things right now, but I'm not going to bust your balls. It's all right. <laughs> oh, no. uh, hey, hey, say what you want to say. What you want to say, right, said Fred? Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing it. Sonny's going to sing to you uh, to be with you in the key of F flat minor. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. I, oh, I only yeah, sing yeah. in Q flat. I'm not actually anywhere near F. Hey, I got it for you. I don't know if you guys are going to pick this up. Can you hear this? Can yeah, you hear that? Bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, I was doing the show and I was singing to be with you, and it was more of a metal audience. So I just thought I'd go instead of like E major, like I'm the one who wants to be. You know, I went. I'm the one who wants to be with you. You know, I thought that was funny. Anyway. <laughs> the grudge or, version. Like, I'm the one who wants to be with you. Hey! What about that one? All right. That's the Russian version. Hey, you know what? I've got a lot of time on my hands and nothing to do but just be crazy. 
Well, you know, hey, this the last part of this interview is like a fart in church. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll be well, great once I put all this together. Yeah. But Eric, yeah, yeah. I just want to thank you so much for your time today, dude. You've been a blast to talk to. Oh, absolutely. I enjoyed talking to you guys too. It's fun to get out on my skin and away from my nine personalities that are somewhere in this house. Oh, all nine personalities were on the podcast. Don't worry. They were all there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, It'll be fun. I really appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much for your time, buddy. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was a nice chat. See ya. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. make sure you subscribe to our podcast Growing Up Rock and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 